The Feeling Sound podcast is brought to you in association with Urbanista. Urbanista is an online magazine for creatives where you can reach a like-minded audience of fellow urbanistas. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Feeling Sound podcast. Well, this is part two of a two-part episode with Douglas T. Stewart of the BMX Bandits. If you haven't already listened to part one, please do so before you listen to this episode. In this episode, I find out a little bit more about what the future holds for Douglas and also some exciting news about some film scores that he's been working on and a little bit more about what music means to him. Can we talk a little bit about your single, which I think I know you best for, and maybe some people do as well, is the Serious Drugs single that you put out. That song, we had just finished making an album called Star Wars, and we were meant to have that day of where we were going to like be taking all the equipment apart, people taking their amps home, you know, maybe listening back to stuff that we'd done a little bit, just doing all the kind of tidying up. And I phoned up Norman, I think about something like 7 o'clock in the morning, maybe even earlier. And we're, neither of us are actually morning people, but he was always, if it was something like that, he would always be excited about that call. And I was like, I've got an idea for a song and I want to record it today. And it's like, we've just finished making an album, but I've got this idea. And I sang the melody and words down the phone to him and sort of said, I sort of hear it. Because I was wanting him to kind of start thinking about chords. I was like, if you imagine it sort of being like George Harrison meets Sheik. And he didn't go, George Harrison meets Sheik? Straight away, he was like, I think I know what you mean. You know, because by this point, we're really in tune with each other. You know, so you have this thing where other people who didn't know you so well, if you said it, would go, what? And so we arrived at the studio and I guess the other guys thought, yeah, well, that's just kind of packing up and stuff now. And, you know, I said to Duncan, the engineer, want to record a new song? And he was like, straight away, just go, great. Because he's a really enthusiastic, positive kind of guy. He was like, brilliant. You know, and we sort of, Norman and I played it to the other guys. And understandably, some of the other guys were going, I think we we're just going to tidy up our stuff and get home and have a bit of a rest. We didn't totally hear it. So, um, Joe who was in the band, Joe McClendon at that time, he was like, I think that sounds pretty good. And I was, and then I was sort of going, I sort of almost think you or Norman should sing lead on it as well, because I quite want it not to sound like what people think BMX bandits sound like. I want to kind of throw them a kind of curveball where people would listen and go, where's the big quacky guy? What's going <laughs> And it was almost like one of the most personal songs at that point I'd written. So I thought, that's a really personal song to me. It'd be quite funny if I don't sing it. She said maybe your tablet should be stronger. Get some serious drugs. Get some serious drugs. Toy town medicine don't make a change. If you want your head rearranged, get some serious drugs. I mean, I now sing it live a lot and I really enjoy singing it and I think people, you know, said that they like when I sing it. But at that time, I wanted to make a record that people would go, have I put on their own thing? This can't be BMX Planets. That doesn't make sense. And again, the song very much had a thing of, 
when when I talk about the lyrics, people go, that's pretty funny. But when you listen to it, I don't think it sounds necessarily like a funny record, but it was a kind of situation. I'd been seeing this girl in Aberdeen who was a medical student and I'd been prescribed kind of antidepressants at the time and she was like, you don't need those tablets. You know, um, you know, my love will make you feel better about yourself. And cut to a month later and standing in her kitchen and she was like, I think you need some stronger tablets. And that's a kind of sad thing, but it's pretty funny as well. And I thought, you know, I said, I don't think I can take it much longer. She said, maybe your tablet should be stronger. Get some serious drugs. And I thought, that's just, to me, it made me laugh. But I also thought it was a kind of poignancy about it. And so I sort of saw it as being a bit like a song that I could almost imagine in a musical. A musical in my life where one character would be seen as another. And so Norman laid down an acoustic guitar, um, maybe an electric guitar as well. And then he had to leave because he had to do some teenage fan club stuff. And Joe, myself and Duncan Cameron finished the track off. And very often I didn't really like a lot of saxophone solos and records when they were too small, and kind of smooth. And I thought, I really want to put a saxophone solo in it. Almost because I don't normally like them, I want to put one in it that I really like. It's almost that sort of thing. If you don't like something, you can react two ways. You can go, well, I would never do that. Or you can go, well, why don't I like a lot of them? Why don't I actually go, well, let's try and do one as to my taste that I would like. And again, it wasn't the sort of instrument that you would hear normally in an indie record of that kind of time. And I didn't want it to sound like everything had went a bit grungy and noisy. And I wanted to make something that sounded really beautiful and had lush harmonies. Um, and almost be a reaction against everybody was going for noisy. So we'll go for quiet and melodious. Um, and that's sort of how that record, you know, came about. The thing about records like that is then you, you line them up against other records that you've done and co-produced and you've worked it with, with different combinations. And the record that I'm thinking of right now is Razor Blaze and Honey, for example. You would line those two up and people would go, no, that's never the same band. But that is the same band. And to me, that's what BMX Bandits is. Yeah, it's funny because I do think there is a con- continuity of my voice through all these things, even if I'm not the vocalist, you know, like, whether it's Doorways or Serious Drugs, where I'm not actually the vocalist, and Razor Bloods and Honey, for still something of me and something of the people who inhabit my life about the thing. And that song started off as a track that um, Anton Newcomb of the Brian Jonestown Massacre, who, again, I think a lot of people go, Brian Jonestown Massacre, Beam Expanded, they seem maybe... But, man, we share so much tastes... I mean, Anton has got such an amazing knowledge of a lot of incredibly beautiful, um, beautifully arranged, you know, classic pop and soundtrack music that I love. And um, we just had this idea that while I was in uh, Berlin with Chloe that we would record something, write something together. And he basically was like, I've got these chords. He just played me a bunch of chords and I was thinking Anton's quite a political guy and I never really write songs that are kind of political and I don't think that's like an overtly political song it's a sort of song people could apply to sort of um, characters they, they just know in their life and whatever but 
Um, in the world of politics, it felt like there was a new breed of politician who was very much... It wasn't about them following principles that I didn't necessarily believe in. It just felt like principles had went out the window and it was all about career and their egos. And that was the important thing. And that's sort of where that song, the lyric idea came from. And again, it came really quickly. I think we, again, something like four hours from him playing maybe his chords and then me just singing a, a melody to him and then him reacting to it. But then what happened is we recorded a version of it and Sean Dixon, also known as Hi-Fi Sean, but I started BMX Bands with all those years ago, heard it and, you know, Sean has a whole bag of, you know, tricks up his sleeves as a producer and mixing things and he's like, I'd like to, I'd like to almost do a reinvention of that. You know, bring something new. And, you know, Anton and myself were just like, yeah, because we trust them. You know, he's someone I've collaborated with and I, I, I think, you know, I think Sean's up, up there with the great contemporary British com uh, producers and, you know, I, I think he should be much more celebrated for that. And um, he came up with this kind of electronic landscape for the track. You know, the melody remained the same, the kind of harmony stuff in it, you know, remained the same and all that. But yeah, he took it into a different um, kind of landscape and it just seemed like, well, yeah, that should be a single. And again, like Serious Drugs, I think some people would hear it, would maybe recognise my voice and go, what? That's that's BMX Bandits? What? Where did, where did that come from? And I like that. You know, I want the next record we released to have aspects of that that people will go well I wasn't expecting that right now you think you're something but soon you're gonna be nothing right now you think you're something Totally agree, and that's what I love about that record. It is just so surprising. It's such a fantastic record. It's so well produced as well, and and it, you know, you can dance to it, you can listen to it. It's one of those. It's just one of those amazing standout tracks. It's really, really great. Let's talk about some of the artists that you've collaborated with over the years. You've been in the industry a long time, um, and long may that continue. But you've collaborated with some incredible artists, haven't you, over the years? Um, one person I'd like to talk to you about, really, that's for me, having having followed you a, a bit over the years, is is the work you did with Alex Chilton. Did you? When did you meet Alex Chilton? We first met Alex in 1989. We were playing, um, supporting him at a concert he was doing at Glasgow Tech, um, kind of college um, in Glasgow, and. You know, after his show and before he was on stage, we were just kind of hanging out and we gave him a copy of the record that we'd just made at that time. And we kind of stayed in touch, you know. And um, 
there was a song called Disco Girl on that album that he really, really loved that Norman and I had written, you know. And so he kind of wrote to us saying, I really loved that song, Disco Girl. It's great, you know. And a few years later, BMX Bandits opened for Big Star in Glasgow when he did their kind of reforming and walked into the sound check and Alex was singing Disco Girl. So Like, man, this guy's, you know, just someone that we, we really love musically. From his early stuff with the box stops through Big Star and a lot of his solo records. And I mean, he was a real, real character. He was really big into astrology. And sometimes his decisions on who he would like and who he wouldn't get on with were based on when you were born. And I'm born on the 30th of December, which turns out to be... Alex's favourite day that anybody could possibly be born on, <laughs> you know, so, you know, I, I, I kind of was lucky there, and um, again, he was one of those guys who loved, you know, he wouldn't make mixtapes, you know, there was a, a song that I wasn't overly familiar with by Carly Simon called The Right, the right Thing To Do, you know, and um, he was telling me about the song, and he was like, do you know that song? And I was going, I can't think of it right now. And he's going, I'll put it on a tape for you when I get home and put some other stuff on it. There's nothing you can do to turn me away Nothing anyone can say You're with me now And as long as you stay Loving you's the right thing to do And he sends a tape and he couldn't find the record of Carly Simon. So he sends a tape and it's got all this kind of mixtape stuff. And then a version he's just recorded in his garage of this Carly Simon song. Because he wants to turn me on to it, you know. And, you know, and we would send tapes back to each other and things like that. And it was the same with the guys, you know, that were in the fan club and other BMX bandits. We formed kind of real friendship. And when he died, um, you know, much earlier than I think people thought would happen his widow came over to Glasgow because, you know, he had such strong friendships with all these kind of people in Glasgow and that kind of had been a big part for him. You know, he said, you know, he also Glasgow in a kind of really romantic way. And the big star music and a lot of his own solo music was so embraced by a lot of Glasgow musicians really early on compared to, you know, it kind of caught fire and lots of other people started opening their ears to it. But, you know, Glasgow was one of the places where, you know, uh, a lot of that music was being really championed and a lot of, I guess, artists were kind of influenced by him. And, um, yeah, David Scott and I got to produce a track for Alex, which, you know, um, I know he really, really was pleased with. And, you know, his widow said that she thought it was one of these her favourites of the things he'd done, which is amazing for me because, you know, for me, he made so many great records. But yeah, it was a track on a Beach Boys tribute album that we were putting together. And he was a big fan of the album Beach Boys Love You, which David and I totally adore. I love to pick you up Cos you're still a baby to me 
He was the encyclopedia and he knew how to play and sing every song in that album. He would mention a song and if you loved it he knew how to play it. You know, and he'd worked out all the arrangement parts as well, you know, so on his guitar he could be playing the string lines, the synth lines, every, you know, part, every harmony. And um yeah, it was that was a, a really, really great day in the studio, you know. And he had so much because he came from a different era of music, he had all this amazing mic technique and stuff like that that most contemporary artists even if they're great singers they don't have those kind of techniques kind of in their back pocket and so it was great you know working with him just seeing how he did things you know you, you learn a lot that way what an incredible guy to have worked with i mean you know alex chilton for me has been so influential across so many different eras and he was a big friend you know it's like our mutual friend guy from uh, Glasgow called Jason McPhail, who's managed quite a lot of bands and used to be in a band called V-Twin. He was like, Alex, he became like Alex's brother. You know, he was probably his closest friend in Scotland. And, you know, um, Alex's ashes, you know, came to came to Scotland. And, you know, Jason was given the job, you know, of, uh, you know, scattering them and stuff like that. And, you know, Norman and I were around for that as well. And, uh, he, you know... I always think about him, but I always think about him as he's here because his music's still here, you know, and the memories are all there. So it's, I always kind of like to think of him in that sort of way. And occasionally, like other people who've passed on, like family members and friends, they'll appear in my dreams. And it's never a upsetting thing. It's always just like, I get to hang out with him again. Won't you let me walk you home from school? Won't you let me meet you at the pool? Maybe Friday I can get to One other thing that I can't just gloss over. You've heard it a million times, no doubt, but, you know, obviously there's that connection with you and Kurt Cobain. You know, I, I think I might misquote it, but I think he said, if I could be in any other band in the world, I'd be in the BMX Bandits. Apparently it was on a New York radio show and some of my friends in America had told me, oh yeah, Kurt was on a show and he, you know, he said this. And then it was reported that I think in some like the enemy or sounds and stuff. Um, so it was said, but the thing I always, it's a lovely quote and it's wonderful when someone with that level of profile, and he was incredibly generous about musicians he loved. He loved showing a knife and he would let everybody know it. He loved Daniel Johnson, he'd let everybody know it. The Vaseline's were his favourite band. It wasn't being expanded. But I like BMX bands. I mean, he wore a T-shirt and stuff, and you know, I, I was lucky enough to meet him a few times, and you know, he was you know nice and enthusiastic and things. I didn't get to know him in the way that Norman got to know him or Eugene got to know him. But I think that that quote, and I, I always like to say this because I don't, 
I want to kind of put that in my mind in the context, but I think he might have been saying that. Eugene had been in BMX Bandits and would always sort of say, oh, some of the most fun I've ever had being in a band was being in BMX Bandits. And it was sort of great because I could just be in the background, the spotlight's not on me, doing my thing, having fun, making music and enjoying, being in good company. Norman was in BMX Bandits and had the same sort of thing. You know, he still will pop up and play guitar because he thinks it's great fun. And would always say, oh, BMX Bandits, really good fun. And again, you don't have all that pressure on you as being the guy, the man. And I sort of think, to me, it seems really likely that Kurt was like, not just based on the music, there's two guys who I really like and admire and they will talk about how this band is so much fun to be in. I want to be in a band that's really good fun and I want to be in a band where maybe the spotlight's not always on me. Because yeah, clearly he grew more and more uncomfortable in being in that kind of level of spotlight. That would that feels like that could be a great band to be in. So I don't think it was like it wasn't like he he wasn't, yeah, he didn't like the band or he didn't like the music. But I think a lot of it was about other aspects of the band as much as as it was about the music, you know, and um, that sort of makes sense to me, you know. Well, that still says a hell of a lot about your band, I'm afraid. I know you're very humble about it, but it still says a hell of a lot about your band. Yeah, it does, and as I say, I think, you know, there's been an awful lot of people in the band and I there's not really any ex-members of the band I would say we've fallen out with or I've fallen out with. You know, it's generally it's, it's been like we've parted company because just of where they were in their own music career or in their life, that it just wasn't the right thing at that time. But there's been plenty of people who were in the band and then disappeared out of the story for maybe even like 10 years, whatever, and then came back in for another 10 years. <laughs> you know, so, as I say, it is like an extended family. And there are some people that are in that extended family who have never played on a B-Mix Bandits record, but in my mind, they're still part of the, of the family. Anything else that springs to mind about things you've produced or co-produced or worked on? Again, I think one of the great things um, for me where I've got to produce other people's tracks or work and stuff is is the stuff that you can learn from the other people that you're working with. You know, may, you maybe try and bring new things that they haven't considered or another, you know, musician or producer wouldn't have necessarily thought of that approach might be slightly different. But it's a kind of two-way thing that you hopefully go away with some new things as well. And I, again, um, the things that I've been a producer or co-producer for have all generally been things that I'm a big fan of. You know, I guess you've got sometimes you'll get a jobbing producer who'll produce some things that aren't totally to their taste, but they're really skillful and they bring the best things that you possibly can to it. It's not like they, you know, they're lazy about it or whatever. But yeah, for me, um, yeah, I've been really lucky. I've got to work with people that I'm kind of like, I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe I'm getting to be involved in this person's music, you know, it's what a privilege. 
an artist that I know you've worked with, who I was hitherto not that aware of, was was Nick Gary. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like to work with Nick Gary. Well, Nick Gary, I guess, was one of these kind of cult musicians who made an incredible debut album. And he made his album, uh, Nightmare of G.B. Stanislas, in the late 1960s as a teenager. And it's one of his stories that was made in Europe. He was a guy who was um, half French and half kind of Anglo-Russian. Kind of, it was kind of heritage. So, you know, he, he grew up a lot in France and his first language was French. But, you know, when he speaks in, in English, you wouldn't think he wasn't like some sort of English gent, you know. Um, so he made this record and it was that thing of just as the record's coming out, the record company goes bust. I saw gentle on the seashore Nothing left but go and hide On the seashore On the seashore So it becomes one of those records that sort of disappears, but, you know, certain kind of, I guess, key big kind of music fans rave about this, and, it, you know, it pops up in people's tracks, will pop up in mixtapes and stuff, and copies are going on the internet for, like, 250 bucks and things. And then it's, you know, eventually the album was reissued, um, and it's just, it's one of my big favourite albums of the 1960s. So he'd sort of disappeared... And then someone managed to find him and went, we all love this record you made. And he'd be like, what? I thought my career just never really kicked off. And, you know, he'd made, it turns out he made another record in the 70s under another name, Nick Hamilton, um, for a, a Spanish label, I think in the mid kind of to late 70s. But pretty much music hadn't been his career. And it turns out he's got a bunch of new songs. And Elephant Records, based in Madrid, approach me and say, Douglas, we'd like you producing new Nick Gary stuff. And I'm like, what? You know, it's almost like um, he's an artist who he's been in some sort of Arthurian legend or something like that. It's like, does he really exist? What's it going to be like? You know, Alex Chilton had a bit of that, but this guy was almost even more of a kind of, you know, a, a, a buried treasure, but only certain like hardcore music nuts like myself. <laughs> you know, uh, loved and um, were excited by. And yeah, you know, he turned up and he had, you know, just sitting with his acoustic guitar playing all these really great, beautiful songs. And um, yeah, there's a song called Twilight, which to me, it's one of those songs, it's about two minutes long. It's really, really short, but it just says so much and it's got so much kind of fragile beauty just in what he wrote. And, you know, so what a, what a privilege, you know, to to get to be part of that kind of rediscovery of this artist. Twilight and colours changing you Long nights I tried to talk to you For sentimental reasons undefined You're always on my mind so going full circle then, Douglas, um, it seems ironic that we talked right at the beginning about film scores and how important they were to you. 
Talk to me a little bit about what you've been working on at the moment, because I know you've been doing a film score for the film Dreaded Light, haven't you? Yeah, myself and Andrew Patty, who's been playing guitar with B-Mix Bandits for probably about maybe five years, it could be even slightly more. He's a great multi-instrumentalist. During kind of lockdown, um, I'd been asked to score a first-time movie by a new director, um, independent feature-length movie, called Dreaded Light and a lot of the themes in the movie really appealed to me it's a sort of like horror but not a kind of gore fest horror a kind of horror which is kind of psychological is there kind of supernatural stuff going on or is it just kind of people kind of up to no good and um, yeah so the kind of themes in it um, really appealed to me and it's always been an ambition for me to be able to do that because a lot of my writing has almost came out of little movies that have been in my mind little mini movies where I almost think like I've been scoring them to visit the set, like look at the kind of way that the lead actors, quite a small cast, moved and their kind of personalities and stuff like that, see where it was going to be filmed. And then I got together with Andrew and, you know, started kind of singing and playing like ideas and finding sounds. Wrote certain themes and then, you know, got a rough edit and rewrote certain themes and arrange them, you know, to fit the action. And then again, get a final edit, then rewrite them again. And I've always loved the thing in soundtracks. It's the sort of thing that some people would maybe be put off. Do you have a theme that recurs in like different versions? And sometimes it's pretty recognisable, and sometimes it's not even that recognisable, but it's in there. And it's something, you know, there's quite a lot of, uh, if you listen carefully, some BMX Bandits albums, like, on the album My Chain we were talking about uh, the track Not Knowing You kind of morphs into a track called I'm Still Hungry later on in the album which almost couldn't be more different but certain musical themes continue in a, a way that you would get happening in a movie and I love all that you know like I, there's a couple of songs that are going to be on the soundtrack album and one of which is featured at the end of the film and they come out of the you know, some of the kind of themes that happen. And, yeah, it was just such an ambition for me. And, like, yeah, Andrew and I just worked as this kind of two-man band and it really concentrated because of the kind of restrictions of lockdown and things. Um, it made sense just working as a kind of small unit. But he's one of those guys you kind of go, OK, let's put some flute in this. And, he, you know, it's like, well, that's not a problem. He could play flute. He can play piano. He can play. So, you know, he's a great um, contributor. And again, any time I came up with whatever crazy ideas or whatever, he would now go, well, that's a crazy idea. He would always go, let's go for it. You know, let's do it. Um, yeah, that's been, that's been a great experience. Listen, I've taken up far too much of your time. Um, I really, really appreciate you being on the podcast. And maybe just round up by talking to me about what you've been what you're going to be doing in the future what what else can we expect from BMX Bandits going forward well we're planning to make a, a BMX Bandits album of 
songs, some of which are already written. We're hopefully going to start recording them pretty soon. Doing kind of uh, kind of we're kind of production stuff, you know, like we'll be ideas for songs that you know we've kind of been talking about together, um, or I've been thinking about over the last few years myself and just obsessing about them, playing them over and over and over again in my head and introducing little ideas for counter melodies and sounds and new sections. Um, and yeah, hoping to start getting them down in tape real soon and hopefully that'll come out next year and the soundtrack album for Dreaded Light should hopefully come out at the end of this year. So... Yeah, that's that's the main things. Douglas, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you again for your time. Thank you very much. It's been lovely to meet you. Do keep in touch. Do let us know. You're getting on with everything, and uh, hopefully we can catch up again in a bit. Definitely, that would be great. You've been listening to the Feeling Sound podcast with me, Mark Reeson, and that was Douglas T. Stewart. As ever, it really means a lot to us that you take the time to drop by and listen to what we've got to say. Until next time, then, take care of yourselves. And thanks so much for listening.